Welcome, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Coffee and Clarks. I'm your co-host, Javian Bravo. And I'm Tyler. And today, we have a very special guest who Tyler and I are honored to have here on the show today. He is the professor of trumpet at University of Colorado in Boulder. Uh, let us welcome the Ryan Gardner, or excuse me, Dr. Ryan Gardner. <laughs> yes. No, thanks. Well, thanks, guys. Honestly, I'm so humbled that you're having me, and I, I'm, I'm excited to just chat with you and hang out for a little while. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, we really, really appreciate it. We know you're a busy man this time of year with school going on and everything, so we really appreciate it. Um, but before we get into some hard-pressing questions for you, we like to start off with talking about things that Tyler and I both love, which is coffee. So Tyler, what are you uh, drinking today? All right, so I have a bag of, of coffee from Ethiopia and I'm actually out of filters for my Chemex oh. and my V60. So I have a little tiny French press that I kind of go to in emergencies like, like that. <laughs> so this is a French press, which obviously it's not the same as a Chemex, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it'll do. Um, it's, it's very uh, lightweight, medium roast, but obviously in a French press, it's a little bit more fuller body mm-hmm. kind of experience, but it, you know, it gets to it's better than, you know, a shell gas station cup yes. of coffee. So yes. we'll put it that way. <laughs> and, and if you're one of those people who like shell gas station coffee, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fine. You know, it gets the job done, so to speak. The job done. Awesome. Well, I, I'm drinking, um, I'm finishing up my uh, bag of coffee that I got from Methodical Coffee in Greenville, South Carolina, the Pink Lady. Um, so <laughs> I'm still doing the French press, but tomorrow actually I'm, I'm getting my new um, uh, pour over set. So I'm excited about that. I finally did it. I ordered it. It's supposed to be here tomorrow or Monday at the latest, probably Monday since March is a, a weekend. So I'm looking forward to that, but it's a, a medium roast. It has some um, cherry, citrus, and dark chocolate flavors to it. So it's really, really good. And next episode, I'll probably have a, a fresh bag of something new. So we'll see what happens with that. And Ryan, are you a coffee drinker? If so, are you drinking anything today? Yes, actually, one of the ways into my heart is definitely through caffeine and coffee. <laughs> my students know if they're about to have a bad lesson, bring me some coffee and things <laughs> may go better. <laughs> um, but I, while I don't think my palate may be as discernible as the two of yours, I'm drinking uh, like a medium roast from a, 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 a roaster here in Colorado called Boyers. Um, but I, honestly, if you guys love coffee, you should come check out the Boulder scene because we've got box tar uh, roasters, which is like unbelievably great. Um, also Bona, like you actually need an appointment to go oh, and wow. get beans from them so there are a lot a lot of awesome options for coffee over here well if you ever want to know i'll definitely come and do some exploring (laughs) yeah for real yeah and then i know um there's an ultra runner that i follow i mean obviously there's a lot of ultra runners in in boulder but um i heard the the beer scene's pretty good too avery brewing oh yeah we've got so many incredible micro brews over here avery is like one of the most fun hangs um you can play games outside and especially like with the virus i mean it's like one of the actual places you can actually spend time with people so yeah i mean so many great brews <laughs> I, I think literally one almost on every other street corner that's how nice. popular beer is here crazy that's, that's the dream right there <laughs> yeah yeah i'm not mad at the situation <laughs> awesome well, all right. Shall we dig in? Yeah, I'm all for Let's it. Let's do it. All right. So Ryan, for those of us that aren't familiar with you, or maybe even students that kind of don't know your story very well, what was your path like growing up? I mean, was trumpet always on your radar? Did you start music at an early age? What was that like for you growing up? Yeah. Um, so I've had a little bit of an interesting path. I think I always was attracted to music um, in some form. I mean, like, the toys that I played with as a young kid were all musical. I was listening to records a lot. Um, but at three years old, I like was begging my mom to do some sort of mus- musical instrument. So I, I took one violin lesson and then I told her that I never wanted to go back there again. <laughs> uh, 
So that didn't go very well. I guess I was not meant to be a string player. Uh, and then at the age of four, I actually did start on piano, which I think did ha help uh, and, and benefited me in a lot of ways. Although I didn't really enjoy practicing the piano, if I'm being 100% honest. Um, but man, I can play a mean entertainer still. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I studied piano for about four years. Um, and then was fortunate enough to be in a really fantastic um, like music uh, program that is just a public school music program. It's actually the same program that Michael Sachs grew up in. Um, it's just Santa Monica Unified School District and they have elementary music. And so um, I actually didn't really wanna play the trumpet but um, through some peer pressure of my friends, uh, that's how I ended up playing the trumpet. We were gonna be a brass trio um, that lasted about like, you know, 10 minutes. Um, and uh, yeah, and so I, I, I started playing trumpet when I was about eight years old, which was fourth grade and, uh, um, you know, had some, some, some success early on um, and, and some young, like lesser competitions. And then um, it just never seemed to not be in my future. It was never like a conscious decision that I was going to be like, I'm going to be a trumpet player. It just was like, what's next? So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of in short my story um, of how now, how how the trumpet ended up being in my life. Yeah, were you taking lessons in middle school and high school? Yeah. So one of one of the great things about living in in Santa Monica and you know being in a in a bigger scene like LA, um, my first trumpet teacher was a studio musician. Is a studio musician. Um, his name's Paul Salvo, and uh, he was just so instrumental. His dad was actually a, a pretty well-known trumpet teacher himself in New York City, and he has a book. His, it's uh, Double Tonguing and Triple Tonguing by Victor V. Salvo. So if you guys are interested in that book, I would definitely recommend checking it out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I started taking lessons um, in about probably about fifth grade. I think my, my parents were like, is he really going to be interested in this? Um, so I, I did that in fifth grade and then I stayed with him um, till about 10th grade um, and it was amazing. I mean, he taught me so, so much um, and, and not only just took a, an interest in what I was doing um, trumpet wise, but he would take me to concerts. I mean, I remember going with him to see Arturo Sandoval live, um, you know, going to hear Winton live. Um, so like that kind of... Um, commitment and and uh, investment was like super cool and it made me more eager to learn I think yeah that's amazing awesome um so what would you say are the biggest takeaways either from each degree that you receive or from any of your teachers that you had either as an undergrad or a graduate student that's a great question so you know continuing in, in that lineage the um, I studied with Paul for, for a long time, and uh, then I ended up studying with Boyd Hood, um, who is in the Los Angeles Philharmonic. Uh, he was third trumpet for, for over 30 years, and he uh, was the teacher at USC for a while. Um, and like, like Paul, he, um, he spent a lot of time with me. I mean, I would go to his house, and he would schedule me for a minimum of like an hour and a half lesson. Um, which is just, yeah. And, and then like, honestly, they would sometimes go three hours. Like that's how amazing um, Boyd was to me. And uh, what I would say that I got from Boyd is um, he really taught me how to fundamentally play the trumpet. I mean, we went through so many fundamental concepts. And also I would say that he really introduced me to um, like the musician that I am today. And I I think a lot of we in that hour and a half to three hours that we'd spend together you know we'd play but we'd also talk and we would you know sit down and listen to music um something that we don't do a lot of or as much of these days um and, and so he would we would sit down we'd, we'd listen to a track on a, on a cd and then the next week i would have some sort of present like here's another cd that i made for you off of a record you know go listen to this and let me know what you think and so I think that, um, you know, just spending time with him and getting those fundamentals and, and that, that um, musicianship and, and passion was really helpful for me. Um, and Boyd went to Eastman. So that's 
one of the reasons why I ended up at Eastman. Um, and I was fortunate enough to stay with Jim Thompson. Um, Jim was just a, an incredible mentor to me as well. Um, and what I would say about Jim is uh, he's probably most known pedagogically for his buzzing book. And, um, you know, for me, it was extraordinarily helpful. Um, I play with a slightly, um, like, not centered embouchure. And um, the whole point of the buzzing book is to make everything feel the same, no matter what register you're in. It should all feel like middle G. Um, and he was really helpful in, in helping me figure out how to navigate the horn up and down with while staying consistent in my sound. Um, that was really, I would say, the biggest takeaway from him. Uh, and we, we went through a ton of repertoire. I think at that time, uh, Jim really wanted me to, to do like a solo track. Like he was like, you should really do a lot of solos. And, and um, so, so we went through so many, so many solos. And I think that was really helpful um, to, to give me a little bit of background now as like a, a, a college professor. Um, then I ended up going to Rice for my master's and study with Marie Speziali um, and loved her, still love her. She's like my trumpet mom. Uh, yeah, and uh, just feel so grateful to have her in my life. And um, Marie was just so amazing in terms of getting everything that in my playing to be more air-based. Um, you know, while I was able to navigate the horn, I think I was still using a little bit of tension and pressure. Um, and so she really was like able to kind of solve that riddle and, um, and, and really help me get everything out of the horn as opposed to like, you know, still here. Um, she also was able to really push me in terms of like refinement and detail oriented ideas. Um, just her, the way her mind works is really, um, she's so detail oriented. She'll literally, like you can play one note and she'll be like, no, and then you play it again, no. Then you play it again, no. And then you play it again, you're like, well, maybe, <laughs> right? So <laughs> um, it, it was incredible to have that kind of ear. And I feel like my ears really grew under her. Um, and we auditioned at Rice for everything, every rotation. And so I just got better at taking auditions learning repertoire quickly um, and being able to get it to a high level. Um, and then from there, I ended up going to New York City and I studied with both um, Mark Gould and Vince Panzarella, um, which of course, just awesome guys, <laughs> so great. Uh, you know, Mark, I think is, I think where he helped me the most is that Mark is able to get into your head like nobody else. I can see that. <laughs> you know. <laughs> For better or worse, right, yeah, guys? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, but for me, it was definitely for the better. I mean, he made me really dig deep inside and, you know, like figure out how to fight myself to get to the next level. And he really did pull that out of me. Um, so I'm super grateful to him. And then um, Vince Penzarella, I ended up writing my dissertation on Vince Penzarella. And um, Vince also was exceptionally helpful and his ideas are really about getting you less thinking about the result of what you're actually producing out of the horn and really visualizing and hearing what it is you want to sound like and then going for that rather than worrying about the result. Um, and so that was like, huh, okay. Um, and, and so helpful because if you can really, if you know exactly what you wanna sound like and you can lay that out in your brain, most likely that's going to come out of the horn. And um, I really did elevate my playing. So um, that, th those are my, my teachers in a nutshell. Um, I've, been, I I've been so fortunate to have that lineage and that tutelage, so. That's amazing because at each stage, you were learning different aspects and different parts. And it seemed like too, it was kind of like a holistic thing from like, you know, fundamentals playing to musicianship to getting out of your head, like all of that, which is, which is awesome that you got to experience that through the whole process. 
Exactly. And, and it's like, it's each teacher had a different focus. Like Jim was like solos. Marie was like excerpts, you know, Boyd was like all the etudes. And then, you know, at the doctoral level, you're just kind of like becoming who you are and figuring that out and getting into your, to your brain um, and seeing how like you work and the better you get at understanding how you work, the better you get at explaining it. So I was exactly like everybody hit the right stage with me fortunately at all the right times. That's amazing. So with all that success too, have you ever had any setbacks in your career that either taught you something at the time or showed benefit down the road? Yeah, I mean, I'm like always super honest about this. Um, I was a really supernatural player um, growing up, like no problems, you know, I was doing extremely well. And then sort of like around, there were a couple times where I just had some, some issues and the issues were mostly, you know, tension based. And I think they were um, like, you know, maybe somebody said something and I just took it too literally. And then I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't play the trumpet. Um, so, you know, it, it, what was really challenging, I would say that there, I had one of those episodes probably in the middle of my undergrad around my junior year. And I probably had one in my doctorate as well. Um, and the one in my junior year was, was a challenge because I saw people who, you know, were younger and like, you know, who I thought I was just like, you know, I, as, a, as a younger player who's just like only known success, you know, to have that kind of setback. And then you see people who are, are you know, your level who are just starting to surpass you. And you're just like, man, this sucks. <laughs> um, and then I would say, you know, in, in my, in my doctorate, like I kind of also hit a little bit of a low in terms of just like, there's so many great musicians in New York that you just sort of, I feel like I lost myself and I just forgot what I brought to the table as a musician and as a player. And a lot of it was just tension-based and mostly like confidence-based. Um, and, and, but it manifested in, in like, you know, like me just not being as excited to play, me feeling like, you know, I couldn't do some of the things I used to do. And what helped me get out of that was that, and, and, and honestly, there were a couple of times where I just like wasn't really into the trumpet and I was looking at alternate routes. Um, and I think what sort of made me realize that I couldn't quit was the fact that every time I tried to quit, like the trumpet wouldn't quit me, meaning like I'd take two days off and be like, I just need some space. And then like two days later, I'd have the trumpet in my hand. Um, and, and, and so I think this has been helpful, not only in my playing, but also in my teaching because I understand what it's like to be at those lows. And so just like not enjoy what you're doing. And, and it's such an unfortunate thing because trumpet is meant to be fun. And so that's what I did is like, I just dug deep and I figured out like, instead of worrying about, you know, not being able to do this or so-and-so can do this or those kinds of things, I started, I started to focus on what I could do. Um, I started focusing on playing with a beautiful sound. I started focusing on playing repertoire that I knew I could play. I started playing, started focusing on sounding good. Um, I started, and that it's amazing how just like a little bit of success is like addicting. Mm -hmm. So you start like, you know, like, so, okay, like I can do this. I wonder if I can do this. And so it just kind of like helps you to get to that next level. And, and it's, a, it, it's one of the reasons that I teach the way that I do. I teach, really out of the positive and I really believe in like working out of people's strengths in order to fix weaknesses because otherwise you're kind of going at it blind if you know exactly what it is that you can do and you just push that a little bit further towards the things that you can't do it's way easier to 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 come out of that and so I think that's what was like the most helpful for me I stopped worrying about what everybody else was doing I started focusing on my personal happiness not only in music and also separating music from your personal life, right? Because a lot of us can do that. Like we feel when 
you're down <laughs> um, on the trumpet, you just feel like you're down in life. And so, you know, being able to separate those two was also really helpful for me. And it started making me happier in both aspects of my life. And um, just, um, again, like that little modicum of success that led to more success and, and just starting to enjoy all the things that I, I loved. Um, it's kind of how I dug myself out. That's amazing. And, and thank you for sharing that too, because I know sometimes people like to make it seem that it was all roses and unicorns and this and that. But I feel like, especially nowadays too, pe people being stuck indoors and not seeing concerts and now people are kind of posting their playing online. And so what you get is like a finished product of people's playing right. and you're just like, oh my gosh, that was like perfect. But what you don't see is it might've taken them 20 to 30 takes to just get that little 30 second snippet. You know, totally. so now all of a sudden it's just like, oh man, everybody sounds so good. What am I doing? You know? So I, I appreciate you sharing that and being honest. Of course, you know, honestly, I just want people to realize that like, you know, it's never, it's not always like roses and unicorns for us, right? Like it's just not, every day is different. And, um, you know, I feel like I'm a stronger player now than I ever have been because I'm enjoying it more now. And, and, and so like, if you're not enjoying it, but you know, deep down you love trumpet, I want people to know that there is hope and like, you just have to find it and find something that is enjoyable for you to play every day that can keep you growing in a positive way. And I agree, like, I, you know, I think everybody has been putting all these amazing things on social media. And I think in some ways it's been like super inspiring, right? But I think in other ways, it's like made people feel like guilty, like they're not doing enough. And, um, you know, I would just encourage people to just do what they can, you know, and, and be okay with that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, um, I guess our next question is, we, we know you're a part of this organization called Music for Autism. So I was curious, how did you get started in that organization? And, and what is that organization all about? Thank you for asking about that. Um, it's something that has been just a really special thing in my life um, for many years. So um, I've always had um, autistic people in my life somehow, which has been so amazing. Um, but my best friend going, growing up, his brother was autistic. And um, I just remember, I don't think at that point we really knew what autism was. Um, and, and so, I just remember him like always being super protective of his brother, which meant I was also super protective of his brother. Um, and then later on in life, um, when I was in high school, another one of my friends, her brother was autistic, but also a trumpet player. And so I would teach him lessons, um, which was like so fun um, and, and just an incredible experience. And so when I, when I, was in New York in 2007, um, somebody I went to like childhood Tanglewood with started um, the American chapter of Music for Autism. It started in the UK and he, he did a, um, a, a, some sort of like Fulbright or, or externship over at Oxford. And so he started learning about Music for Autism and he founded it over here in New York. And so I actually played the first Music for Autism concert in 2007. Um, which was, I think, like a very pivotal moment for, for me and how I look at music um, because I felt like I got more out of that concert than I gave back. And I tried, of course, to give back as much as I could. But to see how music actually helps um, people with autism, to see how they react um, to see how it soothes them, to see how it makes, how happy it makes them. Um, that was like a moment where I was like, this is what music is about. You know, like as classical musicians, we're, we're like, well, this has to be perfect and it needs to be refined and it needs to be this. And it was like a moment of clarity. It was like, no, this isn't about me. This is about the audience and what are they getting out of it, you know? Um, so, after I did that concert, I sort of got addicted to doing concerts um, for them. So, you know, I did several concerts when I lived in New York and I was sort of like helping them find other artists that um, I thought would be really great for, for the organization to do concerts as well. And um, 
they were very sweet and I, I became like their spotlight artist um, 10 years ago, which is crazy. But, um, and so, yeah, and, and so that just meant like, you know, more concerts, more networking. And then I would say maybe about six years ago, they asked me to jump on as their artistic coordinator. And so um, my job with them is to find artists um, and to make sure that they're trained for our concert. Um, and, and, and we do about, I would say 30 concerts a year, um, especially, but we're in four different areas. We're in like the DC area actually. Um, so maybe we can be in touch, Tyler. Yeah. Um, and we're in um, Houston, we're in New York and we're in LA. And so I'm mainly responsible for, um, for LA and New York. And that just that between them, we do about 30 concerts a year. Um, which is awesome. And right now we're doing virtual concerts about every other week. And um, so that's been just such a, like a highlight for me. Um, and, and the whole point of the organization is to provide like autism friendly concerts uh, to people with autism and their families in a non-judgment zone. So like a lot of times when people would go to see you know, a symphony play and they have an autistic child and, you know, they may make a noise in like a quiet part, people will stare at them. Um, and our concerts are um, when people like these kids and their families, they can come to our concerts and they can just do whatever they feel at the time. They can yell, they can dance, they can, you know, come on up and hang out while you're performing. It, it's, it's an unbelievable, and, and the, the, the parents, their reaction is like even more meaningful. I mean, I've had parents in tears, just like finally, like they can just allow their kids to like just enjoy music and be themselves. And that is one of the reasons why I just love that organization so, so much. Um, it's just so special to me. Wow, that's amazing. My, um... My parents both work in, well, my dad's retired now, but he worked with um, adults that have Down syndrome. And my mother worked with uh, students in Duval County in Jacksonville, Florida, that have learning disabilities or autism or on the, on the spectrum. And so hearing you talk about that, like resonates with me a lot because I, like you said, I grew up attending Special Olympics, volunteering for those things. I watched, you know, my mom deal with you know, work with students in the classroom that were autistic and, and the, you know, the things that they have to, to do to engage them and all those things and, and how special those, those people really are. And um, so just hearing what the organization does is amazing. And hopefully we can spread the word more about it. And um, it just awesome. sounds like a wonderful, wonderful thing. So thank you for the work that you've been putting in. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm just proud to be associated with them. I'm so um, yeah, I mean, I, like, I'm just honored to be able to, to be a part of that because it's, it's so rewarding, um, in so many ways that I never thought I would know. Yeah, that's awesome. So your studio, you've been, this is your second year at Boulder. Okay. Yeah. And before that you were at Oklahoma state. Yeah, for sure. So your studios have been having a track record for being quite successful uh, across the board, competitions, um, winning, winning jobs, performing jobs, all, all the above. So how have you been able to do that? What, you know, what do you think has led to that success? Because, you know, in our opinion, I mean, I'm gonna speak for Javian, but, you know, growing up and doing our undergrads and and stuff like we've, we've been hearing about this. Oh man, who's this Ryan Gardner guy? Like his yeah. students are really successful and they sound great. Like what? So can you kind of tell us a little bit about like how you've had so much success and in, in such a short amount of time as well? Cause you're still, you know, young at the game, like doing this thing that you're doing and you're already under 40. Under there you 40. go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you. That's like very kind of you to say, um, yeah, honestly, like it's been a learning experience for me um, as a as a teacher. But what I would say is that um, 
I've had the fortune of having incredible students who are open to learning. And I think I, it all starts with that. Um, but when I first got to Oklahoma State, um, you know, there was, there was talent there. Uh, they just didn't know what the expectation was outside of what it is that they knew at Oklahoma State. Um, and so the first year I took them to the national trumpet competition and I think that was like a very important time uh, for these uh, students in particular because they were able to hear, of course they went, they didn't advance, they thought, man, why didn't we advance? And then they started hearing like all the groups that did advance, they started hearing the soloists that were advancing. Um, and I think that they started to realize, okay, so this is what the expectation is. This is what people need to sound like. We can do this. And so by the second year, um, we got better and um, not only individually, but collectively. And so by the second year, I had a student in the undergraduate finals and my group was also in the finals. So like in a two year span, like it, it, they decided that they wanted to be great. And I think that was like, again, like that was just so important. And then by the third year, my group won for the first time. And so I feel like success begets more success. And, and that's kind of what started to make them think, maybe we can be great even here, like anywhere, because that is the truth. I mean, you can come from anywhere and be great. Um, so I think that, that that was like what started to establish the culture. I would also give a lot of credit to um, my colleagues at OSU who I, I walked in the door with a fantastic wind ensemble um, and a horn and trombone professor who already had elite studios in my opinion. Um, they already had set the bar in the brass area so high. I mean, they were doing their morning warmups every day. They were doing chamber music all the time. Um, and so like, I also just took a page out of their book and I was like, what are you, what are you guys doing? You're pretty good. And, and so um, that also helped that I wasn't just starting from scratch and being the only person to do it. It became like a departmental concept. This is what we do at OSU. Um, and then from there, I feel like I was able to attract, um, you know, better students, uh, both um, undergraduate and graduate students, and with more goals aligning with what I would think, like towards winning jobs, towards winning competitions, towards, um, you know, towards making a name for themselves. Um, and so I, I think that's, that's where I would say it started. I would also say that, um, you know, I, what's important to me is to identify that no, no student is the same. Mm -hmm. um, th and there's no magic pill. And so spending time with the students, investing in their future, figuring out like, how do, how do they think? Do they need to hear me play every single thing that they're going to do? Do they need me to explain the physicality of what it is that they need to feel? Do they need to like have something like in the middle of that? Um, so I, I think like figuring out how each individual works and what they need and like their learning style is extremely important as well. And um, I would say one of the things that I'm incessant about um, well, it's three, three things mainly, but um, having a great sound is just like, you have to have a great sound. There's, there's no, so I start there. I start in building like great sounds because I teach through sound. If you, you, in, in, if you hear somebody changing their sound, you know, you know that something's changing in their plan. And then you have to figure out like what is changing. Um, and so like, that's where it kind of begins for me. I, I talk a lot about air. And then I would say like musicianship is also just something that I am extremely diligent about. Um, I just think that like, 
one, you need to have an opinion about music, um, whether you're going to be a soloist or an orchestral musician or, you know, or, or participate in a wind band. You need, you need to have your opinion because if you don't go in there and play like you, then you're trying to be like somebody else. And I think that is never going to get you where you actually need to go. Um, so I would say that those are the main criteria that I, I think I'm also a big believer in like teaching students to teach themselves. Like, as I was saying, like if, if you hear changes in your sound, like you should be able to hear that and then be able to analyze within yourself. Like, why am I, what's going on there? What, why is that happening? Once you can do that, then all of a sudden you become your own teacher and I become more of a coach. And I think that is the best things that can happen for students. Uh, and the other thing that I would say is, you know, I'm, I'm like extremely picky and I'm, and, and I'm definitely um, like, I will push you as far as I can, um, but it has to be through positivity and you have to find um, balance in terms of like being nitpicky, but also just being productive and musical. Um, but in that positivity, if you're building your students up every week and every time you see them, they start to believe in themselves and that belief turns in to winning things. That's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I'm definitely, I, I find, you know, while I'm teaching this, I'm also in my second year in my institution. So, you know, we're in the process of the whole culture change and, yeah. and raising the bar, you know, and actually funny enough that what you were just talking about, Tyler and I, before you, before we started the interview, we were talking about this exact thing uh, where I was talking about having some students because, you know, I, I teach in a really small town in rural Georgia, which is another small area in comparison to like North Georgia, where the, the big city is. Um, and so I was talking about like, um, I think sometimes in a small institution, they think where they are in this institution is that's the level that they need to be. So getting them to think like, no, you actually need to be at a much higher level. So they get that false sense of security in a small institution. So trying to break them out of that is, is can be quite challenging, at least what I, I found. I mean, and, and, and trying to find ways to, to elevate the, the, the expectations and the standards of what you, you want your students to become in their time at, you know, your institution, so. It's challenging. Um, it's just really challenging. And, yeah. you know, like when I, when, sometimes when I come into a new job, I come in pretty high, right? Like, meaning like, this is what's up because you can't, you can't go backwards. You can't lessen your expectations. I mean, I mean you can lessen your expectations. You can't, it's hard to push them up, mm -hmm. right? Like, it's hard to say like, this is where we are today, but next year, I'm going to ask more of you. Mm -hmm. Like if you establish that standard and like, this is what it is, mm -hmm. th that's, that's what's challenging. And to have everybody buy in is really, really hard. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, due to that, that buy-in, what type of, you know, when you're having students come audition for you, or if you're recruiting students, what characteristics do you look for in a student? Yeah. Um, it's a great question. I, so well, let's separate that into trumpet and then like personality. So in a trumpet player, what I'm looking for is somebody with a great sound. Mm -hmm. um, as, you, as I've told you already, I'm a sound guy. Um, and somebody who within a, a musical opinion, like it doesn't have to be my opinion. In fact, better if it's not my opinion. I want to hear what you have to say and like just convince me that you believe it. And then I'll be like, wow, cool. Um, so I, I would say like musicianship is much cha more challenging to teach than like the trumpet itself. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I would say that. And then of course, just like solid playing, um, you know, the ability, everybody's going to have deficiencies. I'm never looking for perfection. I'm looking for potential, um, somebody that I can help, you know, guide to that next level. So um, that would be like the trumpet things that like I really would love to hear is like a great sound, a really solid player with some deficiencies, obviously the less the better, but I expect we all have deficiencies. I have deficiencies, we all do. So, you know, we, it's just, it's, 
you know, trying to minimize those, of course. And then um, just like a great musical opinion. In terms of what I would say I'm looking for, for, um, you know, a student of mine, I'm looking for somebody who's curious, first and foremost. I think somebody who um, is going to like go do more than the expectation. Like, oh, I was assigned the Hindemith Sonata. I'm gonna go listen to a bunch of like recordings of that and tell you which one I like the best because, you know, the tempo or the articulation or the sustain. Like, I'm looking for a student who's gonna go above and beyond um, what I ask of them because that's what it takes to, to, to be successful. Um, I would say somebody who's like open to, to learning, you know, I would say somebody who's flexible, who, you know, if I make a suggestion, they can do it as quickly as possible. Um, I'm looking for somebody who has leadership qualities. Um, I'm looking for somebody who's going to add positive vibes to the culture. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm just looking for somebody who is going to just be like a great, personality and add positivity to what it is that we're doing and somebody that I think is going to build up the people around us. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a huge proponent of, of, of a studio culture and one that is supportive and collaborative. And I think, you know, finding the right balance and mix of, of personalities is really, really important. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's all about the culture. Yeah. Always. Yeah. yeah. So you live in Boulder. There's a lot of things to do there. We were talking about earlier, the coffee and the, the brewery scene and this and that, and obviously the mountains. So besides playing or teaching trumpet, like what other things do you enjoy doing in your spare time? Whatever that spare time looks like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. not much right now, but um, yeah, no, I am a huge sports fanatic love sports, grew up in LA, go Lakers, sorry, all of the haters. <laughs> um, so you're so really yeah, I, I love, right now we're having a Lakers. great year, Dodgers, <laughs> Lakers, and I'm not like a Fairweather's like Clippers fan, like come on now, I'm like, you know, I've been a Lakers fan since I was like four years old, so um, same thing with the Dodgers. I do like the Angels, but I always root for the Dodgers. So yeah, it's I, I do a lot of like watching of sports. Um, I run every day. That's important to me. Um, hiking. I mean, one of the, one of the best parts about being here in, in in Boulder is like access to these mountains. And um, so anytime I can get on the mountains is just awesome for me. Um, and then I love. I actually grew up playing sports. So. Um, like I played tennis in high school and so anytime I can get out on the court and do that, that's something that's fun. Um, and like, I also, I love NCAA football. Um, I, although I don't know, we'll see about CU Boulder this year. Uh, not, <laughs> not, feeling, not feeling great about the PAC 12 right now. Um, and I would tell you, like, I, also have like three fantasy football teams so you know wow. that also yeah that's a lot to keeps, manage. <laughs> it's a lot to manage yeah um yeah i have levy on bell on my team right now who just got picked up by the chiefs and anyway yeah so might work out for you though <laughs> i think so actually i'm feeling pretty good about it um yeah so like i, I spent a lot of time just doing that and i i you know i watch tennis when i'm practicing sometimes so just like those kinds of things. But yeah, anytime I can be outside, either drinking a beer or outside on the mountains or drinking some coffee, like that's pretty much my, my happiness right there. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's awesome. Sounds like you have balance in your, in your life. <laughs> Man, it's taken me 38 years, but I finally think I found it. <laughs> yeah, it's a process, it's a process. It is. I'm still figuring it out. Yeah. <laughs> Well, actually, I'm glad I asked that because that kind of brings up a, a question that just came to mind. Because um, I, I know you have a, a, a pretty sizable studio. How do you balance your like your own practice with your teaching load? So I'm always asking professors how to do that because I'm also trying to figure those things out as well. Man, it has taken me a long time <laughs> to figure this out as well. Um, so my day starts at about 
6 a.m. every morning and uh, I get up and I, you know, drink my coffee and then I go downstairs and I warm up. And so like by, you know, 7, 7.30, I warm up and then I go for a run and then I go teach lessons. Um, then in the middle of the day, I take an hour for myself and I practice. Then I teach more lessons. <laughs> and then at night I come back and I do another hour. So I'm getting it like, I think that that, that hour feels, um, so nice in the middle of the day. I think that's what has really been the most helpful is like not wait, not getting an hour done before you go to work, mm -hmm. getting an hour done before you're done. So that if you're like exhausted and you don't want to practice when you get home, you've already put in two hours. Mm -hmm. um, and so like that, like then at least it's a judgment call. You're like, all right, I don't have this coming up until like two weeks from now. And right now none of us have anything coming yeah, up, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> um, uh, that's that's been pivotal is like that hour in the middle of my day and just spending time like and and I'll be honest I do go home for lunch like I'm about 15 minutes and yeah it adds like another half hour to my commute daily but just being in my own space in my own time not having any interruptions no email no meetings no students although I love them knocking on my door but just like time to like get better and make some music. I think that has been like so important for my progress and for my continued like trumpet health. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, I, like yes. I said, I, I'm trying to figure this all out as well. So yeah, it's definitely okay. Yeah, I used to try and do it all in like one sitting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That did not yeah. go very well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I get to like my third lesson. I'm like, oh man, I'm already tired. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. And I, also, like, I really try and balance out like playing in lessons. Like, mm -hmm. I try to make sure that I'm modeling um, enough, but not so much that like I'm wasted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you again for sharing that. Um, yeah. So, before we conclude our, uh, our interview with you, we like to kind of end on a, a lighter note of things. Um, so we like to do this segment of what are you listening to? So this could be, you know, classical, it can be rock, this can be jazz, pop, R&B, rap, whatever it is that you're into. So what, what, are, what are you listening to these days? Man, I am into a lot of different kinds of music. Um, what I, I mean, I love, of course I love, you know, classical music. Um, I'm actually a huge opera fan. Love it. Like, um, yeah, I was listening to like Cecilia Bartoli last night. Um, just amazing stuff. Right. Um, I also, you know, but, but to be honest, I love like top 40. So like, if I'm in my car, I'm just like driving, I got the radio on, I'm bumping to that and feeling pretty good about it. Nobody's there judging me. So it's fine. Um, yeah. And you know, like Jacob Collier is kind of like a nice mix too of like, of, of like a lot of the things that I think we all find to be pretty cool. Um, so that's, that's usually what's on, but I like rock. I mean, I love, obviously I grew up in the 80s and 90s and 2000s so I, I love listening to that kind of music as well um yeah i mean it's it, i have very eclectic taste i would i will tell you that <laughs> yeah what That's are you guys right. listening to i want to know about this uh, what are you listening to <laughs> uh so this week uh more dave matthews band so oh. I, I remember i saw him live once and he you know he had the horn section and uh I remember just like watching them live being like, oh my gosh, this group is ridiculous. Um, so yeah, so like occasionally I'll like listen back and just like listen to, you know, Spotify, just random albums or random things like that. And particularly listening to like the horn lines and how they play a role into the music. Cause I always find that really interesting cause it's kind of like a science. It's like balancing the vocals with, you know, it could, it, like interesting horn lines that like fit and style and all that stuff. And then of course, like Ray Sean Ross is just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So anytime I can find any of their live recordings where Dave kind of lets them loose, so to speak, that's, that's always a thing. 
Um, so yeah, and, and it's kind of the same thing where it's like, sometimes I just want to sit in the car and just not even think and just have music on and just be like, cool, this is, this is fine. So I think we do enough of that already. Mm-hmm. So there, there needs to be a balance of where it's just like just listening and it's almost, it's very passive. Like it's yeah. just there to be there and you're, you're okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's been good too. Cause I think if you listen too much to just trumpet playing or classical music or whatever, it can just burn you out. You know, then it's just like, ugh. but anyway, so that's this week. I've just been digging into more Dave Matthews. What about you, Javian? Um, so by recommendation from one of my students, he asked me, have you ever heard this group called Funky Knuckles? And I was like, no, I haven't. And so I, I've been listening to them for the past like three, four days. And I'm like kind of disappointed in myself because I've never heard of this amazing group. Um, they're kind of like if you're if you're familiar with like snarky puppy they're kind of along that same line um there there's some subtle differences but it's kind of like this jazz fusion with all different types of genre of music um so i've been like really listening to uh i think it's their their newest album granted it's like four years old but new to me um and i i've been listening to uh, the soundtrack from this show that I watched on Netflix called The Eddie, which is this beautiful show about this um, uh, American jazz pianist who's living in Paris. And he doesn't play anymore, but he's uh, managing this jazz group in Paris. And he's trying to manage this jazz club called The Eddie. And uh, the soundtrack for this show is all original music that they wrote particularly just for this show. And it's just like beautiful, just really, really good jazz music. It's done really well. Um, uh, the guy who's the executive producer, he did Whiplash and La La Land. So it's, it's really good. It's a Netflix original called The Eddie and their soundtrack just came out for the whole um, show. Um, it's on Spotify or you can pretty much find it on YouTube. I think it's where I listen to it. Um, so it was a great album. So that's kind of what I've been listening to for the past like week and some change, week and a half or so. So good stuff, good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So nice. I want to thank you all again for tuning in to another episode of Coffee and Clarks. And I definitely, definitely want to thank Ryan Gardner, Dr. Ryan Gardner for coming in and letting us talk to him about his life and his trumpet studio at University of Colorado Boyer. Um, Dr. Gardner, where can people, if they want to follow you and, and learn more about you, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram at Ryan B. Gardner. Um, you can also check out my website. It's gardnertrumpet.com. Um, or you could just kind of go to the CU Boulder website. And, <laughs> <laughs> and see what they're doing there. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Tyler, where can people find you? Yeah, so uh, Facebook, Tyler Duncan, just my name. And then Instagram, Tyler Duncan 91. Pretty basic. It's <laughs> <laughs> all good. And, you know, if you want to follow me, you can find me on Facebook, Javian Brabham, and then on Instagram at Javian Brabham or Nerdy Prof. I think it's my screen name. So <laughs> you can follow me there as well. Um, so thank you all again for listening, and we hope to have another episode out sometime in the near future. So stay- Uh, Just follow us and we'll keep you posted. All right. Thank you again. See you next time. Awesome. See you. Thanks, guys.